Welcome to the YA Cafe, where we share conversations about books for teachers, readers, and caffeine addicts everywhere. On today's episode, we'll be talking about The Stars and the Blackness Between Them by Junata Petrus. Grab a mug of your favorite beverage, friends, and let's talk books. Welcome, y'all. As always, our first segment will be spoiler-free, and so you can stick around even if you haven't checked out the new novel yet. I'm Amanda Thrasher. And I'm Danielle Hall, an 8th and ninth grade English teacher, and I blog at teachnouvelle.com. We're joined today by Sam Smith, a writer, reader, and life blogger, and teacher. Ooh. Hi, Sam. Ooh. Hi, how are you? Nice to be back with y'all again. We're doing great. You're back to school, doing the school mm-hmm. thing. Do you have time for writing projects on the side, or are you pretty in school mode? I'm pretty in school, but because it's really hard for me to write at home, I usually like stay after school and write, you know, little bits and pieces of essays. That's kind of like my thing right now. Not so much I'm focusing on a novel or anything, but just like life essays, things that go on every day. I stay back and write those. Very cool. And if you ever do have a novel in the works, be sure to like let us know. I think there's a podcast that might do it. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I am working on it. Like I've been working on this ending forever, guys. It's really shameful. I'll, I'll <laughs> let you know more about that off air. <laughs> The stars and the blackness between them follows two girls, Audrey and Mabel. Audrey has just been sent to Minnesota from her home in Trinidad after her mother found her with another girl. Mabel is ready to welcome her, but barely has the energy to enjoy much these days. After a startling diagnosis, Mabel counts on Audrey for calm and peace. She also begins a correspondence with an imprisoned writer. It feels like these two people are alone in understanding her and anchoring her to this life. Can the two girls shape happiness in the space and time they have left together? So, Danielle, what did you think? So, I really liked a lot of things about this book. I liked the two voices of the girls, Audrey and Mabel. We start out in Trinidad, and so there was a really cool like sense of place that we can talk more about. Um, and I really liked these snippets of poetry in between chapters. Not every chapter, but like... Audrey really likes astrology, so there's like a poem to every sign in the zodiac, and it's just a really cool touch. Junata is definitely very talented in many different ways. She's also like a filmmaker and a poet, obviously, because there was poetry in this, and so I really liked all of those things. What about you, Sam? What did you think? I adored it for several different reasons, the first of which... So it was set in Trinidad, and I'm not from Trinidad, but my family is from Jamaica, and I was born in the Bahamas. So I definitely connected to, like, that, just understanding um, Rodri's point of view, what it's like to be a Caribbean girl and what that means in so many different aspects. I can't say that I adored the ending, but the whole book itself, I really connected with, especially the dialect. I thought it was so cool. And I uh, spent some time looking up lots of the words that were used. Because in the Jamaican dialect, there are lots of words that are kind of similar, but they don't mean the same thing. Like what? Can you give us an example? Just to put me right on the spot. Okay, so on the first page where Audrey is speaking, it says, my heart feeling like it get bust up for calling somebody mother a jagabot. And I've heard my father say that before. And I I remember being like, what the hell does that mean, right? (laughs) And so I looked it up. 
And just like also having that, not that my mother was anything like Audrey's mother, as far as the violence is concerned, but there is definitely a sternness to like a Caribbean mother, Caribbean parents in general, that like you just kind of know not to mess with them or it's going to be a problem. So that was interesting. What do you think, Amanda? Yeah, I liked it a lot too. I thought there were a lot of really great things about it. I thought the dialect was really well done. Like some of the things that you mentioned were really great, especially in the Trinidad portions of setting you in Trinidad, but then also keeping that in Audrey's narrative just to remind you that like she is adjusting and like meeting these people, but she's still feeling very out of place in her father's home. I think all that really worked well together. And also like Minnesota of all places to drag a Caribbean island teenager. <laughs> so yes, Junata is from Minnesota. So there there was that. So happening. she's like, I know this heat to freezing yeah. culture shock. <laughs> <laughs> so um we didn't say this in the summary. Like I wrote the summary and I didn't include this, but um Audrey gets sent to live with her father. And her parents are divorced and she's spent time with her father like a couple times a year and that's it. But for the times that he's on screen, he is very open to her. You know, she was basically exiled from Trinidad because her mother found her in like a, you know, a sexy situation with a girl. And there's this like violence in like ripping her away from the girl and then ripping her away from Trinidad. I was just so happy to see her dad support her where her mother really hadn't. I really liked the dad and I liked uh, Mabel's parents too. Like I thought that the parents in this were very three-dimensional and Audrey has another really supportive awesome figure in her life and that is her grandmother Queenie back in Trinidad what did y'all think of Queenie oh she's so perfect she was like super necessary in the novel I loved her presence in Trinidad yeah she reminded me of my own grandmother so she's not even really my grandmother she's my stepmother's mother but she's so much like Queenie like she was the first person to like, be able to get through to me. My mom was very, like, strict, you know, hardline Caribbean parent. And my dad was just like, oh, do whatever you want. So I kind of <laughs> was just like a wild cat. But my grandmother was the first person to actually sit me down and say, no, you know, we're going to do things this way and not that way. And even in my adult life, when something weird is happening or, like, I need a dream interpretation, like, that's what I call. And so it was cool to be able to um, resonate with that whole situation that Queenie and Audrey had going on. That's really cool. And, like... Queenie really opens up the vision of this book about the discussion of the divine. Like Queenie is really a touchstone for Audrey in learning about her own view of like divinity and like how she connects to the earth and her ancestors and like herself. And a lot of that comes out through dreams, like you said, which become important later on in the book. And also the poetry related to the astrology, like we mentioned before. Sam, I feel like you had a quote here. I did. And it reads, Audrey, you are a wild nurturing. You are a complicated specialness. You are ancestral perseverance and sacred erotic. And that was like so gripping. It's one of the points in the book where I was like, yes, I'm going to read this. and I'm going to finish the whole thing tonight. Queenie is like the person that Audrey turns to first when we find out the story of this book, which is that Mabel has cancer. So usually we'd say this sort of thing in the spoiler section, but 
as a child who lost her parent to cancer, cancer books are very triggering to me. And I did not know that this was a cancer book. So I just want to make sure that like everybody listening knows up front, this is a cancer book. Um, and when Mabel gets diagnosed, Queenie is the first person Audrey calls and is just like, how do I heal her? And we definitely want to come back to that whole healing thing um, and the notion of that in the spoiler section. But Queenie was definitely very, very central to Audrey's processing of this news. So in the beginning of this novel, there are a few very sexy scenes. Yeah, like there's like four in the first four chapters. And I was like, okay, all right. And that's another part of why I just felt so, uh, so sucker punched by the cancer diagnosis. Because uh, I thought it was going to be like a steamy, fun romance book. And then it wasn't that. I feel like we got all the sex in the beginning. And then we got all the pure, like, real puppy love, which is kind of like some of the most potent love in the latter part of the book, which was cool. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you, Sam. Like, I think that it was intentional. It wasn't just, like, uneven. It was, like, intentionally done to make the second half of the book even more, like, resonating in terms of its purity. And it's sort of like John Green has said about looking for Alaska, about the juxtaposition between, like, the sex scene and the intimacy of conversation and things right after it. Mm, I think this is really different, though, because, like, in Looking for Alaska, it's so, like, awkward and unsexy. But, like, these are sexy scenes. <laughs> right. It's true. But I think that the juxtaposition serves a lot of the same, like, thing. We all kind of... I mean, this might be a bad way to ask it, but I'm going to ask it this way. Anyway, uh, were you guys kind of disappointed when you realized it was a cancer book? Because I felt a little bit, like, robbed of a sweet little romance between these two girls. Yeah, I I was like, oh, man, you know, <laughs> come on, not Mabel, like, maybe one of the other friends, and sorry, other friends. <laughs> yeah, I was disappointed. I don't know. I know that not every book can be everything, so not every contemporary book can be, like, a sweet queer romance, but... I don't know. I thought that there was already a lot like the cross-cultural connections, like the young women of color raised in very different upbringings and all this cool like pop culture references. And I mean, just to have the main conflict be cancer, like cancer being the main antagonist, definitely disappointing for me. But it was still we still really liked the book. Important to say. We just thought it was going to be a different book. So all of you, our savvy YA podcast listeners, will not experience this sort of disappointment because you will go in and say, I'm about to read a beautiful artistic cancer book, (laughs) as opposed to, I can't wait for this queer romance of the summer. (laughs) Wrong. (laughs) Yes, that is a great way to put it. It's beautiful. It's artistic. It's evocative. And it's a cancer book. And with that, friends, we'll take our first break. When we come back, we'll share about things we like a latte. Then we'll return to our discussion of the stars and the blackness between them and dig a little deeper. Hey, friends, are you looking for an easy way to support this podcast? Order our book choices through the affiliate link in our show notes. You'll be supporting our authors and making sure we get a small kickback to help keep our show going. 
Next up, we'll be discussing The Athena Protocol by Shamim Sarif, a queer spy thriller, and you know we're here for that. We also have a list on our blog of other inclusive thrillers we know you'll enjoy. If you'd like to help us keep bringing you great content, order through the link in our show notes. Happy reading! Welcome back, y'all. It's time for Things We Like a Latte. Danielle, what's your brew of choice this week? Well, Amanda. Well, Danielle. This is so ridiculous, but we just got back from camping. And camping. Camp- camping. I didn't used to say this word this way, but uh, now being back in the Pacific Northwest, my vowels have broadened again. Cam- camping. Anyway, we stayed in this cabin which had this like beautiful view of like a river and a mountain. It was like so lovely and rustic, except for probably like a $7,000 hot tub. It was a very nice hot tub. It was. Wow. I mean, it broke me for all hot tubs ever, right? Because it's like so nice. There was like a recliner part where you could just like recline and have like jets on your calf muscles, which is really great after you go running in the mountains and such. And so my thing I like latte is this hot tub. It's the hot tub. It's not the night that I made you carry everything on your back and go into the wilderness and sleep in 30 degrees. That's not what you like a latte? No. Weird. (laughs) How about you, Sam? What's your brew of choice? This is tricky, but I think I'm going to have to say this week my brew of choice is uh, the veggie sandwich at Sprouts. I don't know if you guys have a Sprouts where you are. I've never even heard of Sprouts. Is it a chain? So it is. And there's one by my job. So I'm there all the time. And we had open house like last week sometime. And one of the guys went out and got refreshments. And one of the sandwiches he had for people like me who don't eat meat. He got a vegetable sandwich. Vegetarians, you know. All of us. And this vegetable sandwich was so good that I took my lunch break early last week to go get it. Like, I almost bought the ingredients today thinking, oh, I'll make a vegetable sandwich, you know? When Won't I be the same. Church. You'll be bummed and out. I, listen, <laughs> I already knew, so I didn't even bother. <laughs> I just, I made a mental note, like, oh, guess I'll find another sandwich tomorrow. But that's what I like a latte. I like it. Me Sounds too. Good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my brew of choice this week is an older video game that I just finished playing through with Danielle. Just finished it. It is called Overcooked. And it Mm -hmm. is a cooperative video game in which you and your friends, the chef, have to save the Onion Kingdom. Um, And there's a lot of food-related puns. There's a lot of arguing about the best way to cook a burger, because if you don't, then the monster is going to eat the Onion Kingdom. Or the frying pan will catch on fire. Or the frying pan is going to catch on fire. And it's just, it's a really fun game. I enjoyed it a lot. It's a simple mechanic. You can play with up to four people. And it's a really good cooperative game. And it's always nice to find another one of those. So Overcooked is my brew of choice. Love it. We are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll return to our discussion on the stars and the blackness between them. The rest of the show may contain spoilers. So if you're leaving us here, keep in touch on Instagram and Twitter at YA Cafe Podcast. We'll be back. Welcome back, y'all, to the YA Cafe. 
We're continuing our discussion on The Stars and the Blackness Between Them by Junata Petrus. If you haven't read this yet, we want to warn you again that this segment will contain spoilers. Spoilers! And cancer. So the predominant question that we seek to answer in books like this is like, books about sick kids, who are they written for? And the answer is not always sick kids. Hannah Moskowitz has brought this up before, particularly pertaining to The Fault in Our Stars by John Green. Like, who is The Fault in Our Stars written for? We talked about it with Lovely, Dark, and Deep by Justina Chen, which, in my opinion, is written for sick kids. And, you know, is this book written for sick kids? Discuss. I've gone back and forth on this one. I think that any, we're in the spoiler section, so I'm just going to say it, any book where the kids die at the end, I'm not sure it is for sick kids. We're going to talk more about the ending, but like it is more or less a death ending. And like truly when we go through the book, knowing that she's got this terminal disease, why do we have to take it all the way to the terminus? You know, like if you are truly trying to show like this slice of life of like living with and loving someone who is dying of a disease... If you are truly doing part of it for the people with these diseases, like, you don't have to go to the end, you know? So I'm kind of back and forth on it. Not really sure. I don't think I'm sure either. I think you make a really good point. Like, if we knew that there was no coming back from it, I don't know how necessary it was for us to actually experience her being gone, even in the fashion in which she left. I guess some would argue that, like, this is reality, right? That some sick kids don't make it. But I don't know. I, like... Like, if I knew a kid that was sick and they read this book, like, how would they feel after? Maybe it would give them some hope considering how things were played out in this story, even though she doesn't get better. There is a lot of color in her world still. Yeah, I think the biggest thing that makes it feel not for sick kids, like I said, is just the very ending. But like you said, there's a lot of color and a lot of love in her life through the book beforehand, which is really great to see her still living this life just in a different way. Yeah, and one of the things that I found was really powerful about this book, you know, compared to some of the other books that I've read, is the way in which her friends loved her and respected her. Because when Mabel got sick, she did not have the energy to maintain the friendships that she had had before. She wanted to be close to Audrey And that's basically all she wanted. And her other friends, like, no one came on screen and was like, why aren't you being friends with me? No one demanded anything of her. Like, it was very clear that they loved her and that someone had told them, like, hey, she's got other things to worry about right now. And so in that, in that not, like, putting guilt on Mabel or, like, an emotional burden on her, I think that that was really well done and contributed to, like, this depiction of a life with cancer but in regards to what you're saying sam i think this would be a really hard book for a sick kid to read i feel the same way so there was this moment when mabel first gets diagnosed that audrey wanted healing for mabel like of course she wanted healing for mabel and she reached out to queenie and they develop this connection queenie and mabel through what Audrey calls Dreamo. It felt like the point of view got a little splintered. Like it felt like when we would follow the Dreamo into some of Queenie's memories, like while I liked them, 
I feel like I didn't quite understand how they fit the flow of the novel, but like I liked them all in their own merits. I didn't understand what made them necessary for Mabel. Like she had this connection to Whitney Houston or whatever, which was like very important for Mabel. But I don't know why like these dream sequences were important to Mabel. And I feel like having them really made me less receptive to her relationship with the inmate, which I thought made a lot of sense. And I thought was really strong, but I was like less willing to go on that ride because I had already kind of gone with all these like queenie memories that didn't seem to fit. Yeah, I agree. I pretty much feel the exact same way. And again, they were amazing and beautiful. And I especially love the language. Like I told you guys before, but it's still like, I wanted to kind of stay with Mabel and Audrey. What do you think of it, Daniel? Um, Well, I finished this book like two weeks ago, and I still haven't really sorted out my feelings on these sequences. One thing that I feel Mabel got from them was the ability to live outside of her own narrative for a few minutes, more than a few minutes, really. She talked about like the extensive passage of time while she was sharing these memories. And I think that that was like a relief for her to see these memories, you know, that were happy or that were like energetic or other things that weren't the illness that she was currently suffering from, particularly because, you know, she was in a lot of pain. And so to be transported for a few minutes, I think was like really important to her. Yeah. And now that I'm thinking about it, since Audrey herself didn't feel confident enough or didn't have like the power maybe to heal Mabel herself, and she was kind of working through the power that Queenie had, made sense that like Mabel and Queenie had that connection since since Queenie's wisdom was the one doing all the healing. Yeah, that could be. One thing I liked about these memories that we got through the Dreamo, like I said, even though I felt like they were out of the story, I really enjoyed them on their own. I really like anything that is a good reminder that like queerness did not get invented in the mid eighties. Like (laughs) I really like this idea of like people have been queer as long as there have been people and like people from Trinidad have been queer as long as there have been people from Trinidad. And like, I really liked that there was some of that connection in this book. I always appreciate that. Me too. I like seeing that. And this also is this moment where we start to think about similar to in lovely dark and deep, like What does healing mean? In this book, I don't feel like there's any moment in which we think that Mabel's going to make it. So when we're talking about healing, we're talking about like finding a sense of acceptance, calm, contentment in the present, even knowing that your future has been truncated, perhaps beginning to imagine like an afterlife, what that would look like for you things like that. So it's not like healing like, oh, she's going to get better from cancer because it's never suggested that that's going to happen. That's part of why I feel that the relationship from the inmate is so successful because like they both have this death sentence that is either a little bit of time or a lot of time and nobody can really tell them because on one hand, because cancer is terrible. On the other hand, because the justice system is terrible. And I mean, you know, I'm always going to be a sucker for the broken justice system and the immorality of the death penalty like i'm always here for that so that's an easy win for me but i really liked that she was able to develop this relationship with this other person who was experiencing a a different thing like you're in pain every day and trying to figure out how to live a life i'm in prison every day and trying to figure out how to live a life and 
being able to build that relationship, I thought was really cool. Agreed. That was important. It was also kind of triggering for me because the, the students that I work with, a lot of those kids are system impacted. You know, they've been in the juvenile justice system and stuff right. like that. And so, I've, you know, just reading that. And I also, my eldest brother was in prison for quite some time. So it was just like, ooh, ouch. Reality, again, right on top of that cancer. Blah. <laughs> it's a lot of hard things all thrown together. Yes. Which brings us to talking about the end. So for brave listeners who have come this far without actually reading the book, Mabel uses her make-a-wish thing to wish for this inmate's freedom. She, of course, is not granted that, but they do let him go to Coney Island with her for a day. And they ride on a roller coaster, just the two of them. And when the car returns, no one's in it. That's the end. I don't even know what to say because I was like, really? Right. It felt like such a cop out. It felt like I want her to die, but I don't want to write her dying or like actually show her dying. And then a little bit before that, this kind of flew all over me. How Audrey gets this letter from her girlfriend in Trinidad and it's like, oh, I'm okay and I still love you and blah, blah, blah. And that just, ah, uh, that just like crawled all over me because it felt like, don't worry about Audrey. Like she's got this chick on a back burner for as soon as Mabel dies. I don't know. That's how I took it. And I did not like it. So I liked some aspects of the ending. I decided that I was going to read this optimistically and take it that Mabel had gotten to the full actualization of her healing and that she had like transcended this mortal coil which, like, I agree is easier to write than a death scene, but I feel that it is, like, inherently optimistic as an ending. Like, there's no suggestion that she's not dead, but there is this sort of, like, magical realism feel that she has, like, transcended into the space of the divine, which has been important throughout the whole book. So it's not like it came from nowhere. Like, this book is firmly rooted in, like, a perception of divinity and healing and so is the end yeah i i agree um it really put me in the mind of toni morrison and her african flying people i think that was kind of in line with the rest of like the spiritual aspect of the book especially as it pertains to african spirituality that's the direction i took it in even though i did not like it i would have really liked it if the last chapter had been Mabel's last chapter where they're riding the roller coaster and then she's got like this overwhelming rush and like that could have been the end of the book and nothing would have been lost. I can see that. So it's a matter of like whose perspective it was. Yeah, the last person to speak in the book was Audrey. And I really do like the last page of Audrey's memories or whatever. And I feel like we could have just cut out just like the first couple paragraphs where she talks about the handcuffs dangling from the lap bar and they're gone. No one could explain it. I think that just like having it be this like personal spiritual explosion for Mabel going over the roller coaster. And then the next thing is like Audrey reflecting on her being gone would have been fine. Ah, so instead of reflecting on a very concrete like, oh, we see the lap bar with the handcuffs dangling, just have like a goneness in yeah. the future. Yeah. Interesting. But, you know, it's not my book, obviously. It is Junata Petrus's book. Not every book is for every person. Not every book. But this book was great. This book is fantastic. I would recommend it. And as a matter of fact, I think I'm going to bring it to school. 
so that a couple of my students can read it. Yeah. Nice. Excellent. Overall, The Stars and the Blackness Between Them is an evocative reading experience with like lush imagery and excellent detail and characterization and a recommendation from us. And that's our show for today, friends. Thank you so much for joining us, Sam. Thank you for having me. It's always a fantastic time. Yeah. You can find Sam on Instagram at samsmithwriter or at her blog at samsmithwriter.com. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at YA Cafe Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. And if you're enjoying the show, please consider leaving us a review. Happy reading.